6 o'clock, straight up. Good evening. Welcome. This is the Mark Riley Show. My name is Mark Riley. Excuse me while I do the boogaloo. Ah, yes. We're in good shape. Jason Toppenfeld at the controls as usual. And uh, I'm doing something a little different this evening because I came across a story after I had, you know, put everything together for the show. And I realized this is a story that encapsulates what's wrong with American politics. Now, uh, the previous program dealt with the uh, climate change march and the flood Wall Street situation that took place yesterday. As it turns out, 102 people were arrested or summoned in those protests. Uh, Not a gigantic number. But see, here's the thing that comes out of that for me. And and don't worry, we're going to talk about ISIS, we're going to talk about all that sort of stuff a little later on in the program. But what I get from the big climate change march on Sunday and then the flood Wall Street thing yesterday, was that yesterday? Or was that Monday? Monday night, I'm sorry. Uh, You can march, you can put 500,000 people on the street to march about climate change. All well and good. But when you come to the seat of money and challenge money, people are going to arrest you, (laughs) okay? Just a few. I'm not going to arrest everybody. But there's a difference between marching for climate change and marching against money and the corrosive influence of money in politics and in American life. Lower Manhattan is a very interesting place. And when I say Lower Manhattan, I'm not talking about the village or Soho or Tribeca. I'm talking about what they now euphemistically call FIDI. You heard that, Jason? FIDI is the financial district, okay, where money is the stock in trade. And, and, and people, you find all kinds, you find black people. No, I'm not black, I'm not white, I'm green. That's what I'm all about. White people, Asians, same thing. We're all about the green. And the people that are best at the green go into the most expensive restaurants. Everybody else buys their lunch from food trucks. <laughs> okay? It's the nature of the beast down there. But I want to use that particular example, marching against money to talk about this story that's in the New York Times. Headline, Secret GOP Records Reveal Corporate Donors Paying for Access to Governors. Now, this didn't surprise me, because when I worked in terrestrial radio, I kind of talked about the fact that people contribute, and this is no state secret, people contribute to political campaigns not because they love the person, Not because they love the person's ideology, but they want something. And that something is usually access to that politician should they win elected office. All right? That's the name of the game. And the people that have that kind of money care not one whit about people that don't have the money and therefore don't get the access. And if you think... That what I'm saying is a bunch of, how best to put this, Jason, hogwash? Think again. What's interesting to me, and that's why we're going to get into this Republican governor's thing. What's interesting to me is that when it comes to corporate America, guess what? They're using our money to put their foot 
up our butt through politicians. I, I mean, there's no other way to, 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 to look at it. Because we purchase the products that keep these corporations alive, those that deal in products. Some of them deal in financial instruments, real and imagined, but that's a whole other discussion. But those who actually have products to sell, we buy them. Because we go to the store. We ain't got a clue what the Koch brothers own or you know whether or not company X or company Y or company Z is benign or malignant toward our own interests, whatever they may be. And they don't have to be democratic interests or liberal interests or progressive interests. Conservatives sometimes got no clue either. They really don't. Now, here's the nexus of all this. And and be aware of the fact that the expose here is the Republican Governors Association. Okay? Understand very clearly, Democrats don't operate all that much differently. Money talks, caca walks. It's pretty much as simple as that. All right, so here we go. Apparently, there was a coding error, and some people that weren't supposed to get some documents got some documents. And uh, political committees that are tax-exempt, they don't like people knowing exactly who their donors are because they don't have to disclose them. They're called 501c4s. Not 501c3s, 501c4s. Now, Republican officials have removed the documents from their website, but they talk about the gamut of America's most prominent countries, from Aetna to Walmart. And these companies have poured millions of dollars into the campaigns of Republican governors since 2008, which, by the way, is only six years ago, if my math is correct. 17 corporate members, well, this is one document, 17 corporate members of the Governor's Association's secretive 501c4, the Republican Governor's Public Policy Committee. As a 501c4, they don't have to tell anybody anything about who their supporters are and who their donors are. Now, the president of Democracy 21 says, quote, this is a classic example of how corporations are trying to use secret money hidden from the American people to buy influence and how the Governor's Association is selling it. It's absolutely true. That's what they're doing. But there's no law. It's not illegal what they're doing. And we, as an American public, Democrats, Republicans, liberals, conservatives, progressives, and radical right wing, we're all the suckers in this game. All of us. Now, the documents were accessed by the Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics in Washington, which is crew. It is now run by David Brock. Some of you may remember him. He was a conservative who became a progressive. Leopards, in fact, can change their spots. So this Republican Governor's Public Policy Committee uh, had a symposium at the La Costa Resort Inn and Spa in Carlsbad, California. Now, Jason, this is no Red Roof Inn, okay? This is not 
of Red Roof Inn where they did this. Now, at this policy committee symposium, the committee members included Aetna, WellPoint, America's Health Insurance Plans, the utility giant Southern Company, and the lobbying firms Dutco Grayling, now known simply as Grayling. I don't know what happened to Dutco. BGR Group and Levitt Partners. Now, many of you all may not know who any of these people are. I'm not sure I know who any of them are. But that's the whole point. We're not supposed to know who they are. They pay for access to policymakers, decision makers, people who hold sway over serious elements of our lives. Among the documents that crew accessed is a 21-page schedule of that Carlsbad meeting last year that lists which companies attended, who represented them, who represented them and what they contributed. As a public service here at the pub, uh, at the Progressive Radio Network, we're going to tell you who they are. So you know. The most elite group is known as the statesmen. You know, this is another wildly tacky thing that people who have led no lives other than the pursuit of money do, you know, to, to try and stratify, even among themselves. So they have this top-tier, Jason, called the statesmen. Those members donated $250,000 to this 501c4 shadow committee. They include Aetna, Coca-Cola, ExxonMobil, Coke Company's public sector, which is the lobbying arm of Coke Industries, Microsoft, Pfizer, United Health Group, and Walmart. The next tier, the cabinet level, Aflac, Blue Cross Blue Shield. Comcast, Hewlett-Packard, Novartis, Shell Oil, Verizon Communications, and Walgreens. Now, when I read this list, Comcast jumped out at me. You know why, Jason? Because they're trying to buy Time Warner. All right? And they're running into one or three hurdles in pursuit of this. So what do you think this hundred grand was for, party people? And uh, where do you think Comcast... Got the cheddar. <laughs> they got it from cable subscribers. That's where they got it. And this is so frighteningly insidious that, you know, and I hear people, well-meaning folks talking about, we got to get the money out of government. We got to figure out a way to get the money out of government. Well, the Supreme Court says money is speech. At least I think it was, I think it was five to four said money is speech, which means money talks and caca walks. And until people understand how insidious this is, how they set up these roadblocks, how they set up a tax exempt status that doesn't require any disclosure whatsoever. Unless somebody gets a hold of a list somewhere. And when you look at all of these companies, all of them, and then start asking how many progressive people, knowingly or unknowingly, purchased something from the likes of Aetna, Coca-Cola, ExxonMobil, Coke Company's public sector. Of course, they're lobbying, so you can't really buy them. 
Microsoft, Pfizer, United Health Group, Walmart, Aflac, Blue Cross Blue Shield, Comcast, Hewlett Packard, Novartis, Shell Oil, Verizon, and Walgreens. Now, we do not advocate boycotts here at the Progressive Radio Network. That's not really the point. The point is they got us. They got us not just because they contribute to conservative causes, because make no mistake, the Republican Governors Association will never be confused with a progressive entity. They are promoting a Republican agenda, and hopefully you all know what that is. All right? But the bottom line here, the bottom line here is that they, and they'll, they'll try 50 million ways from Sunday to try and convince you this isn't true. But it is. They're using our money to put their boots on our necks. And the law and the Congress and the rest of these clown people have allowed them to make it this way. And both parties, I'll say it again, both parties benefit from it. And the, you know, the Democrats are not going to, you, you ever hear that whole thing about, well, we, we can't unilaterally disarm. Well, then they, there ought to be bilateral disarmament when it comes to this sort of thing. Now, I can, I, I can cite you, actually, we got a guest coming up, Jason, so maybe I shouldn't talk about this too much until after, after we get on the other side of this. Because I got a great guest, Milton Alamati, who is the publisher and executive editor of Black Star News. We're going to talk about... ISIS and Syria and Iraq, and now uh, a French person was uh, was beheaded today. And, I, you know, I, I put up on Facebook that there ought to be one serious way that the United States, I mean, I you know, we can argue till we're blue in the face about airstrikes and boots on the ground and all the rest of that, but there are other ways this can be done. I may have mentioned this last week, in point of fact. But there's got to be a way to talk about civilization here. People cutting people's heads off. That's whack. But right now, it's a pleasure to welcome to our microphones the publisher and editor-in-chief of Black Star News, my good friend, Mr. Milton Alamani. Milton, how you doing, my friend? Very good. Thanks for having me, man. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for joining us, man. As always, it's great. Thank you. Milton, uh, what are we to make of what's going on. We're, you know, the United States and, and, you know, the American government is very quick to say, along with our partners, uh, are conducting airstrikes and have been conducting airstrikes in Iraq. Now it's spread to Syria. Uh, the American media seems to be able or seems to swallow the notion that these airstrikes are really hitting intended targets and are hurting whatever organization, whether it's ISIS, ISIL, uh, what is the other one, Coruscant, whomever. Right. What's your take on this, Milton? Well, I think it's definitely hurting them because um, I think part of the reason they were very successful in Iraq is because they're, they've become like a, real, like a conventional army, a conventional army that actually travels in uh, armored uh, 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 vehicles, 
Uh, they even had tanks. They had trucks. So they were uh, openly engaging the army in Iraq and uh, were about to uh, defeat the Iraqi army. So, so long as they're still using conventional uh, military means, airstrikes can take out their mobile uh, vehicles, can take out their equipment. But in the long run, in order to defeat a group like that, you're going to have to engage them uh, uh, literally man-to-man on the ground. And that's where it's going to become a bit uh, complicated. And you brought up the issue of uh, civilians, even the opposition groups that are fighting against uh, Assad in Syria are now saying that, in fact, civilians are also being killed. And that's yes. always going to happen when you have airstrikes like that. You know, Milton, that's a very, very problematic, for me anyway, part of American foreign policy. The right. idea that innocents end up getting killed here. Uh, and, and you can make all kinds of rationale. And you can pay, what was it, 20 grand a pop for people that right. get killed. Uh, don't you think that maybe... America creates more ISIS fighters out of the families of the innocents who get killed? Absolutely. You can't deny that because, in fact, uh, they're very adept in using social media. And you can rest assured that uh, very soon uh, we're going to see some of those images being posted. Uh, they'll use video. They'll use uh, uh, Twitter. They'll use Facebook. Um, and, uh, you know, part of the problem in in, in, in Syria, where ISIS has its main stronghold and its base and its headquarters right now, mm-hmm. is that by supporting that civil war that's gone on for so long now in Syria, ISIS has managed to flourish. But in addition to ISIS, there's al-Nusra and there's all those other uh, forces that have been fighting against Assad. Mm-hmm. And I've been hearing this term moderate rebels and the intention to train these so-called moderate rebels so they can take the fight to ISIS. I don't think personally that's a very realistic scenario. Number one, I don't believe there are any moderate rebels in in, in Syria. Mm -hmm. I think part of the problem is that uh, corporate media have been ignoring the atrocities that have been committed by the forces fighting against Assad. And not to say that Assad is some sort of angel because this military has also been uh, you know, bombing some of those cities, leveling cities, and of course, civic, uh, killing civilians. But in trying to, uh, to, to ignore that and play up uh, 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 the atrocities by the Assad army, the corporate media have been intentionally ignoring uh, what the, uh, uh, all these other forces have been doing. Beheading is not new. Beheading has been going on in Syria during this conflict for a long time. And anybody can go on YouTube and, 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 and find it out for themselves. There was that famous a video of one of the fighters against Assad, uh, who uh, had killed his uh, enemy, and then cut into his chest and pulled out his arm and actually bit into it and posted that on YouTube. So the point I'm making is that uh, corporate media and the West have been ignoring these atrocities so long as they were being committed inside Syria, and so long as they were considered, oh, even though these are bad guys, these are our bad guys. It only became alarming when these bad guys went into Iraq and seemed on the verge of overthrowing uh, the government that the U.S. supports in Iraq. Milton Alamadi is our guest. He's the publisher, editor-in-chief of Black Star News. Milton, uh, are we going to have to get in bed with the devil? Uh, I mean, is the United States, in order to deal with some of these organizations that you mentioned, al-Nusra and others, are we going to have to make common cause with Assad? 
Well, that seems, that seems as if uh, what the administration is so far resisting. But, hey, the U.S. is working hand-in-hand with Iran in order to defeat ISIS in Iraq. Uh, I don't see how you can avoid doing the same uh, in Syria. And now there's another possibility that may happen. Uh, should the U.S., as it's already doing with Saudi Arabia, training uh, the other forces and arming them, uh, should they seem like they're about to gain an upper hand against Assad, I don't really imagine that Iran and Russia, these two countries that have been backing Assad very uh, strongly, mm-hmm. I don't imagine that they'll stand on the byline. I think they might also ramp up in terms of supplying him uh, with uh, equipment. Uh, you know, the worst-case scenario is that uh, the civil war is going to rage on in, uh, in Syria. It might actually become much more explosive. And the worst-case scenario would, uh, would have Syria uh, turning into uh, what we see going on in Libya today. Milton, what is accomplished by the barbarism of beheadings? No matter who's doing it, what uh, do they think they're accomplishing? I agree with you. I think uh, uh, ISIS is very adept at using social media. They have a slick magazine. They raise uh, monies online. I think uh, they see themselves as... Uh, uh, the, uh, the version two of Al Qaeda. In mm-hmm. fact, they had uh, a uh, they had negotiations in order to unite with Al Qaeda. But there's something I guess that they didn't like, and those <laughs> talks collapsed. Yeah. No, really, those talks broke off, and they decided to go solo. And Al Qaeda is now actually seen as. Uh, in fact, how many times do we hear uh, Al Qaeda uh, uh, relative to ISIS? And in fact, if you ask anybody on the street right now. Uh, 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 which one seems to be much more potent and dangerous, I'm sure most people will see. Will say ISIS. And I think part of that beheading strategy obviously is part of the PR uh, campaign. As you've seen, uh, uh, they showed the uh, brutal beheading of uh, the two uh, American journalists and then the British aid worker. And what does it do? It gets them maximum PR globally. Nobody's talking about al-Qaeda right now. Everybody's talking about ISIS. But now, I mean, does that draw people? Do beheadings draw people to an organization that commits that kind of act? Hey, listen, they're coming all the way from the United Kingdom to join ISIS. In fact, the person that committed, I believe, both the beheadings of uh, the U.S. journalists is a, British, is a British national. Yeah. So if, 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 if that kind of a, a, a gruesome uh, display uh, can lure other fighters from around the world... I don't see why they won't continue doing that. Milton, let me ask you this. Yeah. Um, how many reliable allies does America have in this air war? It has the United States. <laughs> Oops. Somehow I, I, I knew yeah, you were going to say that. Look, even the U.K. and, the, and France, uh, and these words, they've been saying, oh, we, we back the U.S., we, 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 you know, we're going to join you in, 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 in dealing with ISIS and all that. They did not participate in uh, these uh, two or three strikes that have already been uh, committed against ISIS. And, uh, uh, well, the administration explanation was that it was much more important to get the symbolic support of uh, the Arab countries uh, rather than the U.K. and France. Uh, that, to me, is not a very convincing uh, argument. I think that uh, they are probably uh, cognizant of any uh, ultimate repercussions of openly going against ISIS. So at the end of the day, the U.S. is going to bear uh, the bulk of this conflict uh, by itself. 
Milton, I have uh, a theory about this, and I want to run it by you because you're one of the most astute journalists I know. Well, thank you. <laughs> um, you know, ISIS doesn't exist by bread alone, all right? Somebody's mm-hmm. giving them money. They've got yes. sophisticated weaponry. They've got all this sophisticated stuff. Yes. It dawns on me with the number, the extraordinary number of very intelligent computer hackers we have in this country. Yes. That we could, in theory, disrupt their financial pipeline by sending viruses to anybody that's giving them money. Would it work? I mean, uh, that's not going to break the back of ISIS. But I, uh, my feeling is, if you're really going to go all in on this, yes. then you've got to go after the money trail. I agree with you. And I think I, I, I buy what you're saying totally. I've been thinking about that. And my suspicion is that uh, some of the people that are really funding ISIS might actually be some of our so-called allies in the Middle East. That's what I was afraid you were going to say. Uh, look, you, you can create plausible deniability here. You don't have yes. to send out a press release and say, we, <laughs> America, are going to hack into anybody. You know, uh, you can do it on the down low. You can use people that nobody knows. And, and, and you know, when they come back and say, wait a minute, wasn't that about We don't know anything about that. You know, do, do the whole Putin thing like he does in the Ukraine. We don't know nothing. Uh, because it, the kind of sophistication that this organization is projecting around the world has to be at it, it has to have at its root reliable finances reliable finance and probably the backing of some nation states that so far have not yet been named but that must be known by the u.s administration so hack them i say hack them i say <laughs> make, make it him see because if you disrupt people's ability to do their core business whatever that may be banking uh oil fields, selling basketballs, whatever it is they do, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. if you disrupt that uh, with plausible deniability, maybe it's going to make them think twice about all this. And without money, ISIS, I I mean, how uh, how many beheadings do they think they can pull off if they have no money to do anything else? Right. I, 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 I agree with you totally. And I re- re- reiterate, I believe that by doing that, even with plausible deniability, I think the, uh, it will become apparent at some point uh, uh, who you, you manage to hack and uh, see those viruses too and where it's having uh, the impact. Because I think it will also uh, disrupt uh, some of their regular commerce and you would be able to tell who it is that's really been backing ISIS. Now, that implies, Milton, and, and please don't think me cynical for saying this, but, but that kind of sort of implies that we don't want to know. <laughs> i got to tell you, it sounds like we don't really want to know if our allies are funding ISIS. Oh, I think we do know in terms of the administration. Yeah, but, but we, don't want, we don't want the public to know. Yeah, yeah. Yes. That's, that's uh, ugly, though, man. How, it because, is very ugly. Because it sounds like we're, we're, we're you know, uh, setting up a, a, a faux war or something. Look, let's, uh, let, let, you know, and, and I'm not saying uh, A is associated with B, yeah. but we know clearly, for example, that Saudi Arabia has been financing uh, uh, some of uh, the uh, very violent jihadist groups in, in, the, serious, in, the, in the Syrian conflict. And uh, we haven't said much about that because of the close relationship that the U.S. Uh, tradition has had 
with uh, Saudi Arabia and the dependence that we have uh, on oil. On Saudi oil, yeah. yeah. On Saudi oil. And then part of the irony is that Saudi Arabia itself is officially one of the leading beheading countries uh, in the world. And I think uh, just last month alone, uh, their so-called judicial system uh, uh, executed uh, 20 people, and eight of them, I believe, were killed by beheading. My God. Milton Alamadi is our very special guest. He's publisher, editor-in-chief of Black Star News. Uh, uh, before I go any further, Milton, how can people access Black Star News? Because I, I, oh, it's a great uh, read, i got to tell yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I appreciate that. Uh, please go to our website, blackstarnews.com, and we do have a couple of editorial discussing some of these issues that we're talking about right now. And obviously, we welcome feedback. Uh, feel free to uh, send us an email. Feel free to comment. Uh, on the articles, um, you know, the website allows you to post your comments uh, on, on each article as well. Now, the New York Times today, uh, Milton, speaking of editorials, had an editorial that was critical of President Obama's strategy uh, in terms of these airstrikes, both in Syria and in Iraq, uh, saying that, that it, it's not being made clear to the American public exactly what it is the administration is trying to do. Are they right or are they wrong? Well, I think they're partly right, but they have to go all the way then, because they have to go all the way, all the way by saying that, in essence, to destroy an army like ISIS, you need forces on the ground. It's unlikely that the Iraqi army can do it. It's unlikely that the Peshmerga, who are the Kurds, mm -hmm. can do it by themselves. It's unlikely that Turkey wants to get involved. So, therefore, it means the U.S. will end up getting involved. That is what the New York Times is neglecting to say. And then number two... I really do not respect the editorial pages of the New York Times that much anymore. The New York Times editorial page has been a big cheerleader of the insurgency in Syria, mm -hmm. ignoring the fact that a lot of these uh, insurgents have been committing uh, brutal atrocities, including uh, uh, slitting people's throats, uh, uh, beheadings, and posting it online. And the same New York Times, the same thing uh, during the Libya conflict. It was actually berating NATO in editorials that NATO was not doing enough bombing, at the same time also ignoring the beheadings that uh, uh, rebels were doing in Libya. And look where Libya ended. So I have my concerns uh, with uh, some of the hypocrisy in the editorials. Do you believe, Milton, that at this point, uh, boots on the ground, which we hear a lot about, is deeply unpopular with the broad mass of American people? No, absolutely, because it's going to uh, involve, when you send uh, boots on the ground, it's not easy to extricate them. Um, uh, look how long it took to get out of Iraq, and now, um, you know, people are criticizing the president, uh, saying perhaps he took the troops out uh, too early, and that's why uh, uh, ISIS has managed to thrive. But the United States <laughs> cannot put itself into the position of uh, policing and patrolling uh, and, and the world, and that's a fact of the matter. It's, it's, it's unpopular. Uh, in a case like this, though, the U.S. is already hitting ISIS. Uh, I don't think it's going to be a short campaign. Uh, and at some point, and I think that's why that general hinted at, uh, he, he said something like, if, if it, it appears that we need boots on the ground. Oh, that's uh, Dempsey, you mean? Yeah, exactly. That's the advice that I'm going to give the president. I don't think that was, uh, uh, as people have been saying, a careless remark. I think that was a strategically well-placed remark in case we do end up uh, having to put some troops on the ground. Milton Alamadi, as always, man, thank you so much for joining us here on the Mark Riley Show. Don't be a stranger. I'm going to be calling on you in the future as well. 
Thank you so much. Have a great day. All right, you take care. Milton Alamati, publisher, editor-in-chief of Black Star News. It's 28 minutes before the hour of 7 o'clock. I got an hour, man. You know, I love the guests that I bring on here. Not that I'm trying to blow my own horn or anything, but I try to bring people to you who you may not hear about all the time, who you may not even know about, but who are incisive and knowledgeable about what's going on in other parts of the world. Because Americans, I have to say this, Americans, I think, are deliberately being uh, underinformed. Is that the proper term, Jason? Underinformed? Yeah. We're not getting all the information. How about that? 888-874-4888 is our number. 888-874-4888. You don't have to talk about ISIS and Syria and the rest of that. You want to talk about money and politics? We talked about that for the first part of the program, first 15 minutes or so. And this. uh what I consider to be a blockbuster story in the New York Times. Headline, secret GOP records reveal corporate donors paying for access to governors. And, you know, you want to wonder why some governors take the positions that they take? You want to know why some governors do certain things that they won't admit it, but that benefit certain corporations? Uh, you know, with, with the flimsy issue, well, we're just trying to create jobs. That's why, ladies and gentlemen, that is why. And I'm going to tell you something else. All of this that's going on in the Middle East, American corporations are standing on the sidelines licking their chops, trying to figure out how they can benefit from all this strife and all these beheadings. And I hate to be that crass about it, but American corporations will do what they have to do to fatten their bottom lines. And they are insatiable. They ain't going to sit back and say, oh, okay, well, we're we're worth $50 billion. That's enough. They're not going to say that. That's not what they do. 888-874-4888 is our phone number. You want to talk about whatever's on your mind. I got to tell you, there's a very interesting story that is... uh, Uh, Most people might not see in a progressive context, okay? Let me just put it to you that way. Might not see it in a progressive context. I see it in a progressive context because that's the way my mind works. I don't, as my wife will be very quick to tell you, I don't process information the way most people do. Enrollment at CUNY here in New York City, the City University of New York, has hit an all time high. Why, you might ask? Because a CUNY education is affordable. That's why. And people who, you know, still haven't completely recovered from the Great Recession, Great Depression, however you want to describe it, of 2008, they are looking for ways to educate their kids without having to take out a zillion dollars in student loans, pay $40,000 a year in tuition, make their kids mortgage their futures and their kids' futures. And CUNY represents that opportunity. Now, here's the numbers. 274,000 students are enrolled at CUNY schools for the fall. That's up 40% from 2000, when 195,000 students signed up for classes. 
According to the chancellor of City University, James Milliken, CUNY is attracting record-breaking numbers of qualified students because we offer degrees of value that are affordable without many years of debt. Now, why should this be of interest to progressives? You might ask. Because I believe that well-educated young people coming out of the CUNY system who elect to stay in New York will change the future of New York. You see, the more young people who come out of our high schools, who are prepared to do college work, and who enroll in the city university system, that can represent progressive change. As much as electing a Bill de Blasio, as much as many of the other things, having a progressive or at least uh, neo-progressive city council, and that's all good. But I'm going to tell you something. Having 270-some-odd thousand young people, and I don't know how many of them are going to graduate every year, but having that many young people, they're not all going to turn out to be progressives. Not all of them are going to end up living in New York. But they're going to get a good education at moderate cost, and it will create in this city an ability for large numbers, particularly of people of color, to compete in this city's economy. So that they don't end up having to work fast food. They don't end up having to work retail for minimal wages. These are people who are going to be prepared to compete. And hopefully, these will also be people who understand and cherish the value. I emphasize the value of education. Now, There are 24 colleges and professional schools in the five boroughs operated by CUNY. Annual tuition is $4,500 for the community colleges and $6,030 for senior colleges. Now, there was a time CUNY was free. Okay, when my dad went to City College many, many moons ago, he didn't have to pay at all. And I remember there was a guy, I I don't even know if, if he passed away, he was an older guy, Back in the late 70s, when there was a protracted struggle about imposing tuition in the city university system. And he fought and fought and fought to keep it free. It was a lonely battle because he was standing out there by himself. And even though he lost that battle, the fact that you can get a quality education for six grand a year means he may have won the war. (laughs) Okay. He may have won the war. 888-874-4888 is our phone number. You want to talk about that? Want to talk about whatever? Want to talk about Texas? Oh, okay. Well, before I talk any further, let me say good evening and welcome to my good friend Harriet from Bayside in Queens. Harriet, how you doing? I'm okay. First of all, happy birthday. Oh, thank you so much. Secondly, happy new year. Oh, yes, happy Uh, new year to all who celebrate. Health, happiness, prosperity, peace, love, and joy, and all be uh, inscribed and sealed in the book of life. Now, Harriet, I'm really glad you called me tonight because I want to ask you a question. Yes. Um, 
And, and uh, I'm not, I, I have no idea what your answer is going to be, but I got to throw it at you. Okay. Um, I am a, I have historically been a big fan of John Adams, the composer. All right. Short oh, Ride in the yeah. Fast Machine is a very, I cherish that music. Okay. Oh, I know what you're going to ask me. Okay. Yeah. And, and the other day, there were about 200 protesters who showed up at the Metropolitan Opera because they, mm-hmm. I think in next month or in November, they're going to uh, stage the death of Klinghoffer, which uh-huh. I think a lot of people in the Jewish community find virulently anti-Semitic. Uh, yes, and, absolutely. Mm, absolutely. Okay. Because, I, I mean, here's the thing. Yeah. Uh, when I, I don't listen to Wagner to the extent that I really love his music because he was a rabid anti-Semite. Yeah. John Adams has maintained... This work was not supposed to be anti-Semitic. What troubles you about the death of Klinghoffer? Um, it shows, it puts the terrorists and Klinghoffer in the same light. It makes like a moral equivalence. And I mean, it doesn't really take much bravery to shoot a man in a wheelchair. Uh, no, Does it doesn't. Any more than it takes to behead somebody. Yeah, the same thing. Now, as far as Wagner is concerned, he's dead. Yeah. So well, you know he was Hitler's favorite any... composer. Yeah, well, he's but he's still dead. He's still dead. Yeah. So if we don't listen to his music, we're not hurting him, we're hurting ourselves. Okay. Point taken. Um, his descendants are not like that, by the way. Thank God for that. <laughs> yeah, his his descendants are not like that. I oh, I know how anti-Semitic he was. So is Chopin. Yes. And um, from what I understand, uh, Mazorsky. Modes Mazorsky, too? That's what I heard. Oh, God, I like his music, too. I'm going to have to rethink I love his, his music. <laughs> I love um, Wagner's music. Yeah. So now you're going to have to listen to it, you know, give it another. But the death of Klinghoffer, it should not be called the death. It should be called the murder. Murder, yeah. I saw a, they, a piece by Alan Dershowitz about that, actually, I think, earlier yes, today. Uh, I did, too. I I bought his e-book, mm. you know, for... Um, now, Harriet, I, I got you terribly sidetracked on it, and I apologize. I just wanted to get your opinion because I know you're a very okay. interesting person. But you got I, it. I know you called for another reason <laughs> other than yeah. the cling. Uh, I wanted to talk about bicycles. Ah, yeah, that's in the wake of that, that, that uh, tragic situation where a guy uh, ended up uh, hitting a woman, and she died. I believe her name is Tarloff, and I think the yes. funeral may have been today. Is right. She used to work at 1010 Winds, you know. I didn't day. know, but yeah. um, as far as I'm concerned, I see people on bicycles riding fast on sidewalks. Mm-hmm. I want to see more law enforcement. Now, l- let me ask you this, um, because uh, where I worked before, there was a guy named Clem that used to call all the time. Yes, I he, remember. He used to argue that bicyclists ought to be licensed like everybody else. I agree. You do agree. Absolutely. Now, he and I didn't agree on much. But on that one, you agreed with him? On that, yes, because people on bicycles feel that they don't have to obey traffic laws. They could do anything they want, and they want the right of way. Well, you know, in in Central Park, 
uh, you're supposed to, you know, when the light turns red, you, even if you're on a cycle, you're supposed to stop. Most people Absolutely. do not. When I used yeah. to ride bicycle in Central Park, I stopped for every red light uh, because I thought that was how you respected the road. Well, you know, um, people like this guy Jason Marshall, for people it? like you. I, well, you know, uh, here's the thing. Harriet, the guy had a $4,000 bike. I think it should be confiscated. You think he should be charged criminally, which he has not been up until now? Yes, I think his bicycle should be forfeit. Really? But now, should they charge him with a crime? Do you think he committed a crime? Yes. What did I he... mean, the woman died, didn't she? Yeah, but that doesn't always mean a crime was committed. He supposedly was in the bike lane. Um, now, he, he also supposedly exceeded the speed limit. But here's the thing about biking and speed limits. Yeah. When I ride a bicycle, I have no idea how fast I'm going. I got no clue. I mean, I, I, I don't speed. I don't try and ride like I'm some Lance Armstrong or something. But I wouldn't well, know 10 miles an hour from 15 miles an hour to 20 miles an hour. Uh, I don't know. You know when you're going too fast. Well, when you're on a $4,000 bike... Nothing is too fast. I mean, I hate to be crass about it, but if this guy. If you see a person, you know, if there's a person that you might, if you go in too fast, you can't stop uh, fast enough if there's another human being. I don't even know if that bike had brakes, but the, the word was, Harry, and I'm not sure about this, but the word was that he swerved to avoid a group of pedestrians and hit her. Now, what he, what he should have done was stop. I'm not sure he could have if he didn't have brakes. These uh, racing bikes, a lot of times, you know, they don't really have brakes. Because they're, and, and see, this gets to the root of it for me. Those yeah. kind of bikes are not really meant to be run around Central Park where there are pedestrians. And other cyclists who are riding $200, $300, $400 dollar bikes and are out with their families. Because, you know, he could have hit one of them, too. Sure. Where are are those bikes meant to be used? Uh, velodromes, <laughs> you know, uh, where you know where they race bikes around those ovals and stuff. That's where yeah. those bikes are really meant to be to be used. You can get up well, some speed on those bikes. Those are some, can be some very very. You can hit thirty thirty five miles an hour on one of those. Or bikes. more. Yeah. Although I, I, you'd have to be really really good. To hit a, you know, and heading downhill. But Harriet, I don't know what the answer is. I love to bike. I've always, well, I don't bike as much as I used to, but I love to bike. You to never bike rode on the on the sidewalk. No, I would get off the bike if I was getting on the sidewalk. Well, uh, and I used to do. I used to go on Sunday mornings. I have a very good friend of mine named Albert Thompson, and he and I would go in Central Park. I'd meet him in Central Park down by. Uh, uh, by the old Coliseum at 59th Street and 8th Avenue. And we would do six laps around the park, which was 36 miles. Uh, and, you know, I, we weren't trying to break any speed limits. We were talking about all kinds of but stuff. But if you saw a person... Oh, no, we, we, no, we, we, we didn't... Even if the person was in the wrong, we went out of our way to make sure that they came to no harm on our account. You know what I mean? Unfortunately, not... All bicycle riders do that. I know. Harry, we got to go, but thank you so much okay. for calling. You have a great one, huh? And Me Happy too. New Year. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye.
Yes, I want to say to all all who are celebrating, Happy New Year, one and all. 888-874-4888 is our number. Now, uh, down in Texas, deep in the heart of... Oh, never mind. Uh, You know, there's a law that they passed that requires voters in the state to show government-issued ID before casting a ballot. And the Justice Department, joined by uh, several black and Latino voters have sued in federal court over this identification law, asking a judge to overturn it. Now, there have been a number of lawsuits that have challenged voter ID. And, and Jason, let me be real about this. Voter suppression laws, because that's what they really are. They're not voter ID laws. They're voter suppression laws. They say they're trying to root out fraud. Yet when asked or challenged, they can produce very few, precious few examples of fraud that are a direct result of somebody not having government-issued ID. Now, if the law is struck down, it could affect procedures for the November 4th election. Now, it's, it, it's bad enough that the state of Texas has been gerrymandered to assure a Republican majority in the state houses it's seemingly in perpetuity. Uh, but this, these voter ID laws, and of course, you know, they're also going back to the, to the days when Texas did, uh, without literally any kind of compunction whatsoever, uh, just disenfranchise voters, particularly disenfranchised black voters. Showing up to the polls... You have to bring a government-issued picture ID. And, by the way, this particular law in Texas is regarded as one of the strictest in America. Moving right along. Hey, Jason, what happened to that thing you had, that, that, that noise you used to make between stories? You still got it? I like that. You know, it's like a boop or whatever it was. I just enjoyed it. Anyway. Earlier this week, the Pew Research Center reported that 72% of Americans believe religion is losing its influence on American life. Now, I, I, I don't feel one way or the other about that. I mean, I consider myself to be a Christian. I actually do periodically go to church. Uh, I was a lapsed Christian for a very long time. Uh, I decry what is done in the name of religion, across all religions. Um, But I believe people ought to be free to practice their religion. Now, if religion is losing its influence, you have to ask yourself the question, why do people think that? Uh, Is it just declining religiosity, as the New York Times puts it? Is that what's at, at, at issue here? People just aren't religious anymore? too busy trying to make a living, too busy trying to live their lives, whatever. Well, here's the weird flip side of this, which I can't really figure out. Nearly half of Americans say houses of worship should express their views on social and political questions. That's up six points since the 2010 midterm elections. And 32% and rising say houses of worship should endorse candidates, which, by the way, is currently illegal. Other findings. 
And, you know, the Pew Research Center is no conservative operation. I tend to look at their polling as having some modicum of legitimacy. Support for allowing gay men and lesbians to marry has dropped to 49 percent. That's down from 54 percent in February of this year. And 50 percent say it's a sin to engage in homosexual behavior, up from 45 percent last year. Why do why is it that people and, and I don't put this on religion per se, but why do people feel so comfortable, so incredibly comfortable popping their big heads and big whatevers into what goes on in other people's bedrooms? If somebody's not asking you to do something that you're not comfortable with. As far as your sexuality, why do you care if two people of the same sex fall in love and decide to be together? What harm does that do you? I have never, Jason, I have never heard anybody come up with a a rationale that makes sense to me anyway. And I mean, I'm not new to this, okay? Back in the day, when I used to have a radio show on another station and I would speak out for gay rights, not gay marriage, but gay rights, I would have people calling up threatening me. I had a woman call up in tears one time, very lovely woman. But she, I can't have my nephew listen to you anymore. You support the gays. I'm like, what is wrong with you? I don't understand. It does not compute. But that's, you know, that's how some people choose to live their lives. In other news, fraternities at Wesleyan, and by the way, there's not that many, but fraternities at Wesleyan have been ordered to become co-ed. Joshua Boger, the chairman of Wesleyan's Board of Trustees, and Michael Roth, the university's president, said, quoting here, the trustees and administration recognize that residential fraternities have contributed greatly to Wesleyan over a long period of time, but we also believe they must change to continue to benefit their members, and the larger campus communities. Frats at Wesleyan will have three years to comply with these new rules. Now, there's 2,900 undergrads at Wesleyan. Uh, They only have two all-male residential fraternities. And there are about 50 students in each. But there have been some serious problems over time. In 2010... Uh, administrators banned students from socializing in, quote, houses or property owned, leased, or operated by private societies that are not recognized by the university, specifically Beta Theta Pi fraternity, which refused at the time to submit to university safety regulations. The next semester, a student was raped in that same fraternity. Her ordeal was described in an article in the Atlantic Monthly. In 2013, a student said she was raped in a common room of a fraternity that did participate in university oversight. Her assailant was expelled. She withdrew from school. How inequitable is that, that this woman withdrew from school because she was a victim? After a woman fell out of a third-floor window during a party at Beta Theta Pi House this month, Dr. Roth issued a statement that essentially shut that chapter down for at least the rest of this year. Interesting. 
I don't know. I, uh, let me just say this. Uh, I have never been a fan of fraternities and sororities. I, I just haven't. I have family that have been members of sororities and fraternities. Uh, it's just never been my thing. I can't figure out why people would want to belong. And at the time I went to college, nobody I knew. I mean, they had some fraternities and sororities on campus down at NYU, but nobody I knew belonged to it. It was like, we're seeking black power, brother. (laughs) I'm sorry. Uh, it, it It was just like not something people did, not the people that I knew. And I've never found a particular reason now jason i'm 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 caught in the horns of a dilemma here i have it to the ridiculous story but then i started thinking about it and like am i supposed to make fun of a guy who has a hundred orgasms a day and and who by the way is like really really like a just yeah tortured and disgusted by this so he's not ridiculous it's apparently a disease so how can I call him to the ridiculous? I really can't. And then there was another story. Oh, I know the story. Wait a minute. Let me see if I can put this up real quick. Because this really is. Okay, here we go. A guy in Indianapolis wound up in the pokey after he called a wrong number and set up a drug deal with a cop. <laughs> okay. Leroy Davon Gabriel, 19 years old. See, this is the, the vagaries of youth. He was arrested after he called Indiana State Trooper Daniel Criswell to try and sell him heroin, apparently thinking Criswell was somebody else. An off-duty Criswell answered an unfamiliar number and was greeted by a man who said, You looking? (laughs) (laughs) This is ridiculous, all right? Uh, Criswell said, always, on to the lingo. He said, Gabriel offered two grams of heroin, apparently. Uh, they agreed to meet at a gas station on the west side of Indianapolis. And this guy, Leroy Devon Gabriel, is in the who's gal for his trouble. Uh, and by the way, Criswell showed up in state police uniforms and driving a marked car. So I guess uh, maybe that's not even to the ridiculous. That's just, duh. <laughs> you know, uh, better that than the poor guy that, is having a hundred orgasms a day, whose wife is sticking with him. Thank God. Uh, I think he's from Wisconsin or something. My, my sympathies are with him. He's not to the ridiculous. This guy, this 19 year old idiot who calls the wrong number, who calls people on the phone to solicit drug deals anymore? I mean, this is, isn't this like 19? No, I'm sorry. It's 2014. People ought to know better. Anyway, my sincere thanks to Jason Taubenfeld for putting up with me for the past hour. Keep listening to the Progressive Radio Network, PRN.FM. My name is Mark Riley. This has been the Mark Riley Show. We are back with you next Wednesday evening, 6 p.m. Have a great week.